1: All right, well, for part two of this evening's program, holler at those folks out there. Tell them we're going to get going here. Um, This guy has read with us before when we were at New College, and we're glad to have him back. He's truly one of the dread lords of cyberpunk. This guy, this book, City Came a Walking*, the Eclipse novels, Splendid Chaos, are canonical texts. In the history of that dark-hearted and shameless and long-lived movement of cyberpunk that's still with us, and uh, John Shirley's a writer and a colleague I've admired for many years. He's thrashes in the sea of media, as he puts it, and um, is known for uh, not only he not only gets work in uh, novels and short stories. But he also, he has a number of short story collections out, a number of novels. He wrote the screenplay for The Crow. He has about, I think, about three or four novels under development right now, including, some will talk about this uh, Poe thing. What's it called, Ligeia?
0: Oh, uh, well, it was called uh, it was called Edgar Allan Poe's Ligeia, but they're, they're making us change the title because there was a movie called Tomb of Ligeia, and there's a lot of argument about it. But Okay, all right. Who knows what it's called now? <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, without further ado, I want to welcome John Shirley.
0: I used to be in punk bands, and uh, somebody asked me to write a short story for an anthology called uh, The Vault of Punk Horror. There's a, there's a subgenre called punk horror, apparently. These guys decided there was, and so there is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I did write a, a story for it and apparently it's, you know, been printed and they're, uh, they're going to put the damn thing out eventually. They've been puttering around with it for eight months or something since they said it was coming out. But, um, this is from my story in the Vault of Punk Horror. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's kind of short and we'll see how much time I have. I might read a little something else after this. I, this has a, a frame and uh, the beginning frame is, is uh, a kind of a Stanislaw Lem slash Harlan Ellison, any gimmicky frame um, for a paragraph and, and then um, you come back to that at the end and it's a very different tone from the rest of it and uh, the story is called, You blundering idiot, you fucking failed to kill me again. (laughs) (laughs) The macro being had heard about the planet, had heard terrible, appalling stories of conditions there. Out of curiosity and some awesome, unimaginable cosmic variation of pity, it descended through many levels, through layers of laws, through dimension after dimension down to a mere three dimensions within the fourth time to see this world for itself, to see if the story was true. The others had thought there must be some good and sufficient reason this planet was so polluted, so verminous, so pestilential, so dominated by brutality and predation. But the macro being wasn't convinced. It wasn't so sure at all that this horror, this planet Earth, should be allowed to continue as before. It wasn't just the dominant race. The lower animals, too, lived mostly by preying on one another, actually eating one another, or by trying to avoid being eaten. It seemed cruel to allow it to go on. Samuel Masterson Hellick figured that Stubbs Grunauer was the man for the job. Grunauer was bulky and strong and indifferent to the feelings of others out of an innate happy-go-lucky stupidity, like a rhino stepping heedlessly on a bird.
1: <laughs>
0: and he'd do anything for money that didn't require real sweat-breaking work or thinking, and he never thought about consequences, so he wouldn't worry about legality. Uh, Grunauer had been quite surprised the time he was arrested for breaking into a supermarket at night, and cooking a steak on the concrete floor in the back room where he'd piled up a a bunch of charcoal taken from the sacks at the front of the store. When the cops came in, alerted by several alarms, Grunauer was just sitting there drinking cheap vodka from a bottle, though he could just as easily have taken the good stuff off the shelves, and watching his steak sizzle directly on the coals. What? I was fucking hungry, dude! (laughs) So Hellick figured that $200 would be enough to induce Grunauer to kill him, to effectuate his suicide, even though Grunauer was only three days out of jail. A big man with a slack mouth, perpetual halitosis, his dishwater hair cut in the shape of a bowl around his pimply forehead, Grunauer was wearing a black and silver Oakland Raiders shirt, a size too small for him, uh, so that his gut slopped out under it. That drizzly July day in Fremont, California. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be sun out in July, Grenauer observed as Hellick came into the weedy, junked up backyard of Grenauer's white cracker box house. Actually, it was the house of Grenauer's long suffering mother. Grenauer was standing there in the drizzle, in his sagging jeans and rotting tennis shoes, gaping up at the sky, a forty of old English in his right hand. You keep standing like that, Grenauer, Helik observed. Eventually, you're going to drown. Grenauer blinked away rain, drank some beer, and looked at Helik. He didn't seem surprised to see Helik here in his backyard, though they hadn't seen each other since high school. Helik's thatchy blonde hair had receded just above his ears, marking the passage of years. But Grenauer behaved as if they'd seen each other at school that day. <laughs> I mean this fucking rain, man. Grunauer said, you bring any beer, Hellick? I- I'm about out. Grunauer had been a linebacker in the school team. Hellick had played tight end. I- it was as if the 17 years since high school hadn't passed at all. Hellick had left the team because the coach wouldn't consider him when quarterback opened up, typical in Hellick's view of the unfair hands dealt to him by life. The coach was prejudiced against him because of his obvious artistic gifts. Jocks always resented a genius. (laughs) And then (laughs) girls turning from him because, in all probability, they were intimidated by his spontaneous brilliance. And bosses firing him because his wit was too acerbic, his insight into their foibles too shatteringly incisive. Helleck could take no more of the world's persecution. He would punish all humanity by withdrawing from it. And afterwards, after his death, his poetry, his lyrics, the acoustic songs he'd put up online, would shine out, would take the world by storm. And he would be appreciated like Van Gogh, like Poe, like Fred Smargenbarger. (laughs) Well, not many knew about Fred Smargenbarger, but Hellick would never forget his immortal lines. (laughs) I turned to survey the fruit of my squatting, How my crap shines in the moonlight. (laughs) Smargenbarger was a fellow unsung genius in Hellick's view. Typical slam poet, I think, probably. (laughs) Hellick looked around with distaste. The tatty backyard, seeing a dead cat half-hidden by a tarp in one corner, also a rusting oil barrel, an old soft plastic kiddie pool, a Rusting tire rim, a rusting wheelbarrow, several overgrown piles of bricks. Your bricks are missing their brack," said Hellick. Grenar just stared at him. Oh, what did he expected? Wit was lost in the witless, but that made him perfect for the job. Too stupid to think of getting arrested later if the cops came on him doing the deed. Grenar, Hellick said, "I want to hire you for two hundred dollars." To do what? <laughs> to kill me. And I'll pay you for it. OK. <laughs> My ma's been getting on me. I don't earn no money. I, I remember when I forgot to go to school that year, <laughs> she said, you ain't going to earn no money if you don't go to school. Only I never figured out where they paid you at school.
1: <laughs>
0: Grennar shut up you want the $200, shut up. Now, here's $100 of the money. He handed five 520s, half of what remained of his final unemployment check. Here's the first half. You get the second hundred after. Grenar blinked at him. You give it to me after I kill you? What? Well, no, no, no. After I'm dead, look in my wallet. There's an address where the rest is. It's under my bed. Wait, who'd you say you wanted me to kill? (laughs) Me. You? Oh, no, but who? (laughs) Me, you idiot, me. It's a suicide. I want to be dead. The world doesn't fucking deserve me. And I I don't think I could bring myself to jump off a building or something. I'd lose my nerve. Somebody's got to do it to me. Grenauer nodded seven or eight times. And then he nodded three times more, then twice more. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. You bring a gun? No, I, I looked into that, and it's really hard to buy a gun legally. It takes weeks. I've got to get this done while I'm psyched to do it. And I already sent the letters to the papers and editors and everybody with samples of my poetry and tapes and my songs. <laughs> So it's got to be done. I tried to buy a gun on the street, but I couldn't find anybody I trusted uh, not to pretend they were going to sell me a gun and just take the money and not come across with a gun, since after all, they'd have a gun and I wouldn't, so you know, but, so we're going to do it some other way. Well, how, how you want me to kill you? Is that an old kiddie pool there, one of those little inflatable swimming pools? Yeah, my mom found it on some free heap somewhere. You know, one of those free heaps. He took another long pool of beer. It's already half full of water. Just fill it with a hose there. Hold my head down in it. It's that simple. Okay. No. What? I don't mind doing the job of killing you, but filling it up is work,
1: dude.
0: (laughs) Fuck it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Hellick found a hose, turned the water on, filled the blue and yellow plastic kiddie pool. Uh, there were pictures of SpongeBob mixed with some kind of dancing, grinning starfish around the side. SpongeBob and that starfish would witness his death and rejoice with him.
1: <laughs>
0: there was a poem in that somewhere.
1: <laughs>
0: but the time for poetry was past, except for the final poetic statement his death. Hellick tossed the hose aside, knelt, and waved Grenauer over. Okay. Come on, hold my head down in here till I drown. <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, sure. The money's in your wallet. No, the rest, uh, it's at my house. Address in my wallet. Now, come on, let's get it done. Grenauer finished the Old English, tossed the bottle aside with a clunk, and sat on Hellick so that his face was smashed down into the water. Hellick immediately tried to cry out in protest, and some, somehow being crushed by Grenauer's ass lacked dignity as a way to die. But water filled his mouth and nose and rushed down into his lungs, and SpongeBob seemed to dance in front of him, wavering through the lens of the water as he drowned. And he reflected that, after all, drowning is drowning. Fuck, but this really hurt. It hurt in his lungs. He hoped it would be over soon. It really, really hurt. It was too much. It hurt too much. And he started flailing around to break free and... That moron Grunauer stood up. <laughs> Helix s- sat up, spewing water, coughing, and heard a woman talking. The bent little white-haired toothless woman in the stained shift who'd led him into the backyard Grunauer's mother. I don't care what he's paying you. You sure as hell can't do that here. <laughs> now, Stubbs, get out of here with that. I don't want to know about it, and leave the money here for me to take care of. OK, Ma. Grunauer, Hellick managed to say between gasps. You idiot. You could have ignored her and finished the job. Nah, she hides the TV remote if I don't do what she says. <laughs> oh, for crying. All right, come on, let's go somewhere else. <laughs> Hellick's lungs still burned as they walked out through the gate past the yammering old lady, neither one of them taking in what she was saying. Then down the street, two blocks to the railroad tracks that ran through a district of mostly abandoned warehouses. They crossed the gravel strip to the tracks, and then Grunauer got an inspired look in his face and pointed. Oh, look, there's a big piece of metal, like a crowbar, kind of thing. Them railroad guys must have lost it in there. I could use that to bash you in. Put your head on the railroad tracks. (laughs) Halleck grimaced, but then he shrugged and said, Why not? It sounds reasonably quick. Just get it done fast, okay? Yeah. Hellick laid down on the gravel, head on the railing, right side down, and began singing one of his songs. I don't care if you don't know it. I know I'm a genius and the world doesn't deserve me. I know it because the rats tell it to the cockroaches who told it to me. So fuck you all, fuck you all, fuck you all. He broke off and looked sidelong up at Grunauer who was towering over him a smelly silhouette. Grunauer, what are you waiting for? I was listening to your song. (laughs) Just tell people you heard it at the end and how great you thought it was. Now do it. Break my skull. Okay. Hallett closed his eyes, half inclined to run, but it was too late. He heard a whipping sound of something coming through the air and then crack. Tremendous pain in his left ear. This is it, the end. Tremendous pain, waves of pain on the left side of his head that didn't stop, just that one crack. And then he opened his eyes. Grenauer, shit that hurts, why'd you stop? Grenauer's voice sounded distorted through all the blood pooling in Halleck's ear. You ain't dead yet? No! My arm hurts. This thing's heavy. So? Hellick felt dizzy, removed, dreamlike. You only hit me once, now bust my fucking skull! Okay. (laughs) Crack, another blazing pain, this time on the side of his head above his ear. Shit, ow, can't you hit straight? Kill me! I want some more beer, dude. Get it later. Come on, I paid you. Make like Nike, just fucking do it. This pain is agonizing. I want it to end. It's, it's just, it's fucked up, Hellick. I don't like breaking open heads. It makes my stomach hurt. I like stabbing. Couldn't I stab you some? Yeah. What? With, with what? Oh, my fucking head. There's a big old rusty nail lying over here on this wood There used to be old Grunky's shack over here. Whatever. Just fucking get it done. I can't stand this. End it. Stab me. Here. I'm turning on my back. Stab me in the chest. Stab me now. Stab me in the fucking chest. Right fucking now! <laughs> I didn't pick up the nail yet. <laughs> you moron! Oh, my head. Wait, I got it now. I got it. I, okay, let me put this other thing down. And, I'll put the, and there's old gunky down there waving. There's old gunky. Maybe he's got some wine. He, he let me have some wine when I was younger. If I let him play with my Peter. Do you think he's got some wine? Will you fucking kill me, you cretin? I don't like to be called names, but whatever, dude, okay? Uh, I'm kneeling down here. Ooh, kneeling on these rocks hurts my knees. My fucking skull is cracked. You don't think that hurts? Just do the job. Fuck! Now stab me in the heart right fucking now! Okay. Grenauer took the long, rusty nail in his hand the way a man holds an ice pick and stabbed down right into Hellick's breastbone. yell that fucking hurts! You dumbass, dick-licking shithead! That is not my heart! I thought your heart was right there in the middle. It's where people cross their hearts. Ain't that where a heart is, dude? We always put our hands over that spot when I was in grade school. They made us do the Pledge of Allegiance. No, fuck. Get it out of that bone. It's fucking killing me. I mean, it's not killing me. It's hurting me. Pry it out. It's stuck. Ow! Hellick reached up and pried the nail out of his breastbone himself and handed the nail up to Grunauer. Now, here. Stab it in my heart. My heart is right over here. See where I'm pointing? It's right fucking, no. You stabbed me in the hand. You said the stab where you were pointing. Your hand was there. No, under my hand. I can't get under your hand because it's in the way. And now your hand is nailed to your chest. It looks really cool, actually. It looks pretty cool. But it's stuck on your chest. The nail went right through and it's stuck. Ah. Hellick pulled the nail out of his hand and chest and his uninjured hand trembling so much he could barely hold onto the nail. He handed it again to Grunauer. <laughs> Will you just get it over with? Stabbing that hole, but deeper, between the ribs, right into my heart. Right there? Okay. Okay. Grunauer stabbed, but the nail glanced off a rib, cracking it. Oh, fucking shit piss that fucking hurts You said right there, Helic, but I said between the ribs, you can see where the ribs are. It's all slippy like with blood i can't, I can't aim with all that blood. Try fucking again okay
1: <laughs>
0: Grenar clamped his tongue between his crusty teeth, closed one eye, and aiming carefully, stabbed down, but the nail only stuck out under his fist, an inch or so, and didn't quite go deep enough to penetrate Alec's heart, only to scratch the outside of his heart painfully. Now,
1: you fucking
0: idiot! Invisible and all-encompassing, vast but subtle, the macro being had surveyed most of the planet Earth, had paused in several places, Darfur, parts of India, parts of Florida, a concentration (laughs) camp in North Korea. Hundreds of thousands of old people's homes and hospices, and was still uncertain. On the one hand, Earth seemed to cry out for a compassionate veterinary putting down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, it,
0: it seemed to the macro being that though indeed these creatures at best lived lives of quiet existential confusion and misery, and at worst lived with great suffering, there were there were also positive, redemptive feelings and events and ideas. Maybe this world should be allowed to go on so that these creatures could evolve. And then it noticed a spike of suffering in a part of California called Fremont, and it glanced down to see Grunauer trying to kill Helik and all the time Helic begging him to do it. And the mackerel being watched them in sickening fascination for a while. Yeah, you, you have to. You have to. You have to... What, Hellick? To st- you gotta stay... St- I don't know what you're saying. You're not talking English. <laughs> stab me! Stab me in the heart, you idiot! Push it in! Oh, fuck. Hellick had to pause to turn over and vomit up his meager breakfast. This took a while. Finally, he flopped onto his back with a groan. Push the nail in, and then hammer it into my heart with that tool. Okay. Grenauer shoved the nail in and then got the bar of iron and started to hammer at the nail with it, but aimed badly. And the nail went to the side and jammed in the tissue under Hellick's pectoral over the heart. Oh, that hurts! you missed, miss, you fucking moron! You. Hellick, the train's coming. You could jump in front of it. No, no, I can't do it myself. You've you got to throw me in front of it. Pick me up. I'm small, you're strong, pick me up. Okay, (laughs) Grenauer picked Hellick up in his arms and moved back from the tracks and waited and in a moment the freight train came barreling metallically along, screaming with its horn and Grenauer got close to the train and tossed Hellick in between the two brown freight cars, only did it clumsily and Hellick didn't quite go in but got stuck with his arm between the car and the metal wheel and was dragged along, his backbone twisting around, his arm twisting right off with a pop and the train was gone and Hellick was left there in a bloody, wrenched, semi-human pile next to the tracks, still alive, groaning and alive. Hellick, you ain't dead, dude? No, you blundering idiot, you failed to kill me again! That's what Helix said, though it was difficult to see where his mouth was in the knotted up wreckage of him. Okay, sorry, hey, I guess that's half the killing anyway. You can keep the other half of the money. I gotta go, my mom's gonna make me something to eat. Why you fucker, stay here and kill me, just get a big rock, or jump on my head and... Or... Oh, I can't, I think the police is coming. You better fucking kill me, I'll tell them you hurt me without being paid to. Now. Damn it, kill me! No, well, I, What? well, I don't, well, what should I do? Watching Hellick and Grunauer, the macro being had had enough. These two seemed to sum up this world in a general way. And (laughs) contemplating them, it was the final straw. It was the turning point. The macro being made up its mind. Pity got the best of it. The macro being decided to put this planet out of its misery. So the vast amorphous creature stretched out its energy field and encompassed the whole planet Earth, enclosing it like a small animal enclosed in a man's fist, and it squeezed. (laughs) And in just under 93 seconds, the entire Earth was wiped clean of life, painlessly and entirely. It was all gone. All organisms, even plants, the macro being liked to be thorough, and including even microorganisms. Since there were no microorganisms left, effort was done, there was no significant decay as such, and all the organisms in the world simply stopped moving and stopped living, and sometime later, each one fell into a nice dry heap of dust. Afterwards, macro beings would sometimes visit the lifeless planet, simply because it was so very peaceful there now. That's
1: <laughs> the end of the story. <laughs>